It's 12 o'clock in Frisco, Texas, and it's time for Smoker Broker Radio with Robert Mesh, a.k.a. The Smoker Broker. Robert is the owner of Small World Realty and has employed hundreds of real estate agents in his 17-year career. He has instructed and mentored over 10,000 real estate agents at the highly acclaimed Champions School of Real Estate and is considered an expert in Texas residential realty. Robert is also an advocate of true entrepreneurial spirit and has helped many to transition from corporate America into the world of self-employment. And now live from the studio to your world, The Smoker Broker. Hey, welcome to Smoker Broker. I'm Robert Mesh, and I'm the guy they call Smoker Broker. Happy holidays to you. Hope everything is going well as we continue to move into the end of 2022. Probably one of the more fascinating years in real estate that we've seen uh, probably forever. I, I know in 21 years, I've never seen uh, anything remotely close to it. And it just continues to fascinate me daily as to what uh, this industry can and cannot do. Uh, it is very unpredictable where it used to be predictable. Uh, it's not anymore. And that's fine because real estate in general, you know, if you look at a chart over the years, it, the, the, it literally looks like this. Okay. And like if you draw two parallel lines, it, in the end, real estate always does well. So it doesn't matter whether it's predictable or not, uh, it really just becomes a matter of uh, being able to go with the ups and the downs. And probably one of the more interesting things as we move into 2023 is that the agents who have been doing so well for so many years, especially the last 10, and have never experienced a downturn, uh, this is probably going to be their first exposure into, well, how do I, I deal with that? Now, what's good? What's fortunate for them is that they're probably not going to see much of a downturn. I think what they've seen already is really the breaks. Um, uh, and as we move into the beginning of the year, it already looks like the market is trying to uh, kind of repair itself and hold up. You know, the interest rates, uh, we're all kind of surprised, have not continued to go as high and have, have even dropped, which is interesting because we have been pretty um, insistent upon the fact that rates were going to be at six and a half to seven and a half as we move into 2023. And right now they're really sitting in the upper five. So it, it makes us wonder whether the uh, government's trying to keep them there because they did see the lull in housing and they don't want that to happen. You know, clearly when it comes to uh, the economy, uh, housing is super important, and the last thing the government ever wants is for the economy economy to be affected because housing's bad. Uh, so one of the many benefits about real estate and being a realtor in general is the fact that uh, the government doesn't want to see us uh, struggle, and they usually do their best to make sure that doesn't happen. Now, uh, typically when rates are higher, it tends to push a pause into uh, the way we sell real estate, but... Uh, at this point, it looks like they're trying to heed that off or cut it off uh, to where we can continue to get people back into uh, buying and selling houses in a healthy market. And at a 5 to 6 and even a 7% interest rate, it is a healthy market. So you know, 2023 is going to bring a lot of interesting 
um, events for most real estate agents in there. Uh, as always, you know, I bring uh, a lot of my folks on uh, to uh, help me with this. I can't do these shows without them. Uh, and a lot of times in certain areas, uh, their expertise is, is stronger than mine. And this is definitely one of them. You know, today we're going to talk about investment. And it's a cornerstone to real estate. I'm a big uh, a proponent of an agent being a uh, investor. In fact, I really don't think you can be that great of an agent at some point in your career until you have, um, you know, done some type of investing or been a part of some type of investing. Uh, so today, uh, you know, I've got uh, several professional investors that work with us and. Uh, Today, you're going to get to see uh, a couple of them. Uh, Andy Webb, a uh, longtime friend of mine, longtime agent of mine, uh, he really uh, is a, he is an expert in investing. And uh, I'm more impressed the fact that his expertise is, is because he wanted to do it for himself and his development of his family. So he's going to uh, talk to us a lot uh, today. Uh, and then our next episode, we're actually going to have Andy join us again and uh, one of our other uh, professional in, investors, Alan Richardson, gonna, uh, Rogers, Alan Rogers is going to be on. And uh, I was thinking about Alan Richardson, who I was talking to earlier. So funny, two ARs. Uh, Alan Rogers is going to be on uh, on the next show to kind of uh, key in with Andy on some of that. And of course, uh, Rich always joins us uh, every once in a while. Her expertise in general is always great to hear. She is familiar with investing as well. Not as much as Andy is, but her take and her comments are always welcome, which is why we love uh, when she takes the time. Super intelligent uh, woman there and fantastic to always have her on the cruise. She's a longtime uh, friend and agent as well. So, Richard, thank you for coming on today. <clears throat> Andy, it is a fascinating market right now. You know, even I have to be puzzled by how this stuff is piecing together. You know, I'm curious what your take on it is from the investment side, even the last couple of months have kind of tweaked themselves in a way we wouldn't have thought. Uh, how are you looking at that right now? What are your thoughts? Uh, and as you do that, I'm actually going to look at some of the agenda we were supposed to talk about this morning. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I think we're going to talk about working with investors uh, yeah. this segment, but um, no, no, I am gonna... all general comments. So yeah, sure. I, I, well, I'm an investor. I, I was just chatting with Richa before we started, and like her, I'm I'm exclusively a landlord. I am not a flipper. Just you know, so the viewers understand that I, I've, I'm a buy and Andy, holder. Tell them the difference between that. Tell them why. Tell them the old uh, Robert, whatever his name is, about versus flipping versus holding. You know, why is it? What's the difference between the two? Well, the big difference is well, the way I view it is with flipping it's it's always you still have to hustle you buy one house you fix it up you sell it maybe you hold it for a couple of months maybe maybe four maybe five depending on the market you get your your earnings your 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 profit hopefully um from a tax perspective it is earned income you've earned it you had to work to do that and you got to go on you got to do the next one and the next one after that to continue to keep the income coming in whereas i'm a buy and hold guy rentals right i like to buy them and keep them and they cash flow. They just constantly kick off cash flow. I put them into place, you know, fix them up upfront the way I do it, and I forget about them. You know, keep an eye on them, do do things here and there. But we always have income coming in as as cash flow. How and do they a, say you, you you flip to get rich and you you hold to get wealthy, right? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, and there's a difference but, between the two. But there to is. your question, with the market now, 
I've always bought for cash flow. And one thing we do see is that cash flow is becoming compressed as those interest rates go up because I do finance. I'm not a cash guy. I want to I want to have as little money in the in the investment as I can. That magnifies my returns right on a cash on cash perspective. But um, because I do finance that leverage, the, the cost of that debt has gone up. So my cash flow goes down. We we bought two houses on the same street, closed a month apart and rates popped from one closing to the next. So my cash flow on one is about one hundred dollars less than on the other. Which makes Just, a difference at times, right? It can. Yeah, it can. It depends, again, on how you're operating. But, uh, you know, these were new builds. Normally we go in and we do rent a full rehabs, right, where we're making everything new on existing product. But in either case, we're trying to put something together that's in really good shape so we have very little maintenance issues. So it's just a really, for me, a function of, of the cost of the debt right now. Yeah. Um, we're in Dallas, Texas. Um, we've invested in Houston, but, but we're focused on Texas. And, and I think the good news, if you're viewers right now are in Texas, there was a report that came out recently that put Dallas-Fort Worth, the, the broader market, as the number two market going into 2023. This was published by PricewaterhouseCooper and the uh, Urban Land Institute. I forget the name of the study. Dallas-Fort Worth, number two, behind Nashville, which was number one. Uh, if you look at our other big Texas markets, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, they were all in the top 14 markets to look at going into 2023. So to your point earlier, did we hit the brakes? I think in Texas, maybe maybe a little bit. I don't know. Uh, outside of Texas, maybe 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 something more is coming. Don't know. But um, here in Texas, I think we're in a really good a good spot. Yeah, I was more concerned. Um, clearly, as we got into uh, November and December, and even for us personally, it's been some of the slower months that we've seen in a long time. And literally, the income wise, probably a thirty to forty percent drop in those two or three months, which is that's something we expect to see when the market taps it breaks. Now what's comforting. Um, and it, you know, and it's funny, this is hypocritical too. Uh, and this will surprise anybody that's listening. I actually got just a tad irritated about the rates going lower. And so hear me out on this because, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're trying to educate a general public that rates have been way too low and they're supposed to be higher and they should be somewhere around seven to eight percent historically and we were heading that way and we were getting the general public to understand it because they put the brakes on buying because they're like it's going to lower and we're like no it's not it's not going to lower and you need to be prepared for that so we're finally getting people to understand it and then they drop it to where it, it does drop and it looks like it's gonna like stay a drop for a little while and it encourages people like, oh, well, you see, I told you, you know, like that's not what was supposed to happen. So it was almost irritating the way they did that, because that pause was sincere. Um, when you cross a 7% rate, it put the brakes on for good. And people would have eventually started buying either way, but they sped it up by lowering them. And to me, sometimes it gives a false sense of reality. But now I'm of the opinion that if they did drop it, maybe they are intending, maybe they saw that the initial effort was too strong and too many people really hit the brakes on it. And they knew what that would cause if they went into the following year. So I think they tried to stabilize it. And it brings us to the comment that you just made. Uh, it gets people like, you know what, this is a fine, a good enough market for me. And for all of the agents that watch us, Andy's comment is very interesting He's looking at it from a financial standpoint, how it affects him. You know, if someone like him is going to say that 
he feels, especially in Texas, since our shows watch more in Texas than most states, is that it, we're in, in good shape. He's right. We are. And if for someone like him, if he thinks we're in good shape, then that means for the general home buyer that's looking for the white picket fence, we're probably in good shape for them too. And if I could just add, I'm sorry, the other side of the thing with the rentals and Richa, you've got rentals too. You've probably experienced, I mean, the appreciation in the prior decade was crazy. We'll still have that. But the other reason I like to buy, especially the fixer uppers, I don't see this on the new builds we bought is through the purchase process and buying the renovation, you know, the rehab type properties, we, we create a lot of equity. And even I just want to mention this because though my cash flow now is compressed, what I'm seeing is that we are starting to see better buying opportunities at lower prices. So our equity that we capture, that we create through that renovation process, instead of here, it's it's getting bigger. So there, yeah. there are trade-offs there. So maybe I don't hold those houses quite as long and I sell yeah. those to when the rates change, but um, sure. it's the other side of the coin there. And sorry, Rich. You know, Rich, I, I always forget that you have rentals. That, that's, I, you know, I always bring you on just because your expertise is so strong with so many areas of real estate. I forget that you have some. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I think Andy had everything nail, nail on the head. I think, um, you know, the, the equity part of it, I think, is the, uh, the, the light at the end of the tunnel during this time, right? And generally, home buyers, whether it be for your personal, personal uh, investments or your own uh, uh, main residence, uh, people, yes, the rates are going up. So people are being able to buy half the house for double the price. Right. Um, they're yep. expecting they're, they're used to two percent, three percent. And you're right. They're getting shocked when it's six, seven, eight, which is where generally the market should be. But the the comment about equity is where it's at. So, you know, just for a very general breakdown of equity for somebody that might not understand truly what equity is. You think you bought the house for three hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars is how much equity you have. And that's not how equity works. Right. Right. You buy it off for three hundred thousand. And you got a two hundred thousand dollar loan on it. That hundred thousand dollar gap is how much equity you have yep. in the in the property. So a lot of the times, depending on rental properties and how you use the money, whether you do financing, some people finance the equity out of their their uh, first property to buy the next one, or you just get a new loan or a new loan, new loan for each property. It depends on how you. There's so many investment techniques that you can use to create the right cash flow, depending on how much you have and what kind of you know credit history you have, how good of a, um, you know, ha do you have any penalties for loans or anything like that? And so I think it's it's a very complex topic that we're talking about here, you know, and so it's very yeah, hard. You interweave, you interweave financing, investing and strategy. And, and time of year yeah. and timing uh, and what, what, what conditions are out there in the economy, right? early COVID, nobody was doing anything. Everyone was panicked. Everyone was sitting tight, but investors yeah. were out and about. Sure. They don't yeah. working. Investors right? always <laughs> find a, a, a picture uh, that's bright to them in any type of real estate market. Of course, you know, well, yeah. for, for their own use, right? They're, so they're looking at general functionality of the space, of the home, where location, Right where a majority of the public might want to use the property for their private for their own residence. Right when you're yeah. purchasing for yourself, there's a whole other set of glasses uh, that that you put on to look for a property for yourself versus what you look at for uh, for an investment purpose. Which that's great because that's what our second session is going to be about. We're actually going to talk about on the personal side. If you want to do this, are you sure that this is what you want to do? Why do you do these things? You know, so that that's actually a great 
transition to what we're going to talk about um, on that next episode, because we do want to educate people on, hey, do you, are you really considering this? Well, if you are, these are some of the things that you need to know. So go ahead. That many people, I say, I feel like I say it every time on your podcast when I'm here, please stop watching HGTV. That is not life investing. That's not real life anything. And I think that's what happens is novice investors. And I think every investor, you lose money your first couple of uh, projects that you go on because you you just come in thinking, oh, I'll spend this, I'll spend this. And then you don't budget in for unforeseen circumstances that can happen anywhere. Which is why you should use a real estate agent who's done investing because they'll they'll help you with that. They'll tell you. They will help you with that, right? So working with the right partner, um, working with the right vendors. And I'm not talking about just for lending. I'm talking for, like he's saying, right? And he was saying, you're generally buying fixer-uppers. So having a good flooring person, having a good handyman, having a good electrician, having a good plumber. I mean, those are very, very difficult to find. They don't just always exist. And just because they have a plumber. That's a good comment too. That's a comment I want to talk about. So- we're talking about whether you flip or you hold, um, you know, which one's better. What do investors look at? How do they look for them? Well, one of the things that comes into that conversation uh, is about if you are going to flip, you know, flipping's a, a quick, you know, you get in there, you, you buy it distressed, you put your equity, your sweat equity into it and the people that you know to get it to where you think it needs to sell at and you make that profit. But that really does depend on, the level of contractors you have, uh, you know, Andy and Rich are all I know are, are well versed in this. Uh, but Alan talks a lot about this too, where he, uh, you know, Alan, he, his contractors, he knows the guys that are going in there, they're going to do it at a certain price, and he knows what that budget is when he goes in there. So if he was going to flip, and he, it's funny, him and Andy are very similar. They they they're not big into flipping, but. They're both, they both understand it. And Alan, if he goes into a property and he knows he's going to flip it, he would have to know that he has the contractors ready, that he can fix those problems at a certain amount and sell it to where he is going to make, you know, at least 20 to 30 K. And, you know, it was a, and, and it's a fascinating conversation. We, and we got to get your guy, um, your hard money lender guy on here uh, sometime, Andy, because I really thought he was great uh, the last time we talked. But he he said something that I really love. We said a lot of things I love, but one of the main ones is so many novice investors think that they're going to make uh, $60,000, $80,000 on the investments. And whereas the, usually the acceptable, what one would hope for is somewhere around twenty-five to thirty k. You've done well. If you find that, but so many people are like, oh, I have this huge equity gap. I'm like, you only have that after you fixed it and you're still able to sell it for above. It doesn't have to be 70 or 80K. And you know what works for that is that in this market, you're not going to find that anyways right now. You're not going to be able to find. And that's what Andy, that's what Andy was talking about for equity, right? Yeah. Even yeah. though you bought the house at 300,000, you spent 100,000 fixing it. The the value of that property is now significantly more. The market value of the property, what that home would sell for, is more. Therefore, your equity has gone up. So yes, it might not be buku but in the rental department, yep. right? Like he's saying that the that the rental profits are are compressed, but the equity profits, the equity gap has significantly increased, and so you can yeah. hold on to it and sell it a lot a little bit later when rates I, are more. I think more. that's what's the. I I think that's why the hold philosophy is more superior 
because it gives you the two alternatives. It does give you the most of the time positive cash flow. Mm -hmm. uh, but the more important thing by far, and the professional investor truly knows it's the long term you know, asset uh, to their net worth, that they have an asset that's being paid by somebody else. Uh, and there, another thing that's significant that Andy talks about a lot is he's very clear on, notice how he talks about he doesn't like to use his money to do this. Well, you know, that's very un-Dave Ramsey of him, right? You know, that he doesn't <laughs> want to use his money. He wants to finance it. And, and, and so I, I like Dave Ramsey. I do. But I, I think if Dave was on here, I would have this conversation with him. In fact, I'd love to have it with him one day. You know, he's so harsh on the borrowing of money and the financing of money. And I always want to be like, but if it was temporary and somebody else was paying for it, then what does it matter? Why do we care whether the money was financed? You see, to me, that's where he's at his weakest. Well, that conversation also comes from right? a very different place of privilege, right? You have yeah. to have that. that there's a lot of financial comfort you have to have to be able to say, I can just use my cash all the time to buy whatever I want. Sure. The well, and, and he's in a different place. Yeah. And he's yeah. in a different place. He comes from a different part of town. So a new investor coming into this process isn't doing that. Did we lose him? I have no idea, but I'll just add, Dave is good. Dave Ramsey is good for people that are having trouble on the consumer side. Got the credit card debt. Get get out of the hole you're in but yep. if you want to build effectively you have to have leverage I that mean, is an effective building takes time and it takes experience i mean even with just a regular real estate purchase for your own self right when you're buying and selling a house the first time you buy it you're a little novice second time you develop a little bit more comfort mm -hmm. third or fourth time if that happens in your lifetime much more comfort much more um predictability, a better estimate of cost that you can, ex that you can do that takes time. Like uh, the average first time home investor has no clue how much it costs to, re to replace the floor because right. that can also fluctuate. It's experience. And, and I've worked with a lot of back of the napkin sort of equations or estimates, X percent of square foot. I mean, those things change all the time. And, and okay. yeah, it, you know, nowadays we go into a house. I say, this house looks kind of like the one I did a year ago, which cost me this much. So it's probably going to cost around that, maybe a little bit of inflation added in. So the, and I think that, Rich, is where you and I add value, the realtors that are also investors when it comes to working with those people that are watching HGTV and say, I want to do this thing. That's great. <laughs> but I think one of our jobs is to sit with them and, and help them understand reality. And to your comment about contractors, it's good if we have those that we can recommend and, and you know, not giving legal advice or any of that fun stuff, but um, it's an educational process. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It is an educational process. I agree. And, and unfortunately, I'm, I've been finding over time, um, finding vendors with the integrity to do a good job at their skill, at their trade isn't always there. And sometimes that just comes with experience. So well, finding people and holding on to them, and 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 again, I I think you they have to be compensated accordingly. Also, if you're looking for bottom of the barrel type work, somebody you know that just has day laborers on their team and they're going to slap some floors on there, then that's probably quality of uh, workmanship that you'll you'll see eventually. Maybe not right away, in the year, and then you'll end up having to redo it for no reason. Well, 
Yeah, and you as a as a real realtor that's worked with investors, and I as a realtor that has worked with investors, we we've probably seen those that have done that. So now we've got the stories to relate to. I, mean, I have a lot of conversation with predominantly with new new people that are interested in getting yes. started, whether flipping or 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 buy and hold or something else. Um, yeah, and. It, it comes down to, I think, a big portion is expectations, us understanding what they expect and helping yep. them fine tune that, make sure they're speaking the language. And I think some of that language is financial. It is returns. It is mm-hmm. whether it's a flip or, or buy and hold. What is your expect? Talk to me. Tell me what you think you're going to be getting out of this. And then we're going to we're going to fine tune that. Um so it's interesting. This is where I find the difference in the expectation and the advocacy um, that we provide for for clients, whether it be in real estate or investing. When it comes to residential real estate, I find um, generally women, when they see a house or they like a house uh, for themselves, they're picturing long term what they're going to use the home for. Right. And men usually see, oh, my God, it costs this much and the AC costs this much and this is and they can't necessarily see the long term picture. Flip it when it comes to investing. Women are the ones that are nervous about break, things breaking, falling apart long term, and men can see the long term <laughs> picture very easily. They're like, yeah, I'm gonna flip. I can fix this, 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 and this, and it'll cost this much, and then it will. I was like, it, it's so interesting how that dynamic. I've changes. never looked at it like that. I mean, I guess there can be a correlation. Yeah. Andy, is that in your experience when you've worked with clients? I, you know. I, th- I think I've seen the whole gamut. I've got real practical uh, invest women investors that I've worked with, and it's an my wife, thought. my wife, my wife is one of them. Um, in fact, she's the one that sometimes has to give me a kick in the rump to get me going on some of these <laughs> things, you know. So I, I, it's it's pretty mi- it's pretty mixed so far. <laughs> it is it is a good mix. It's just this was just I remember all, maybe it's because I'm thinking about the m- most recent couple or people that I've worked yeah. with. And so that's why that you're was not partial. wrong. They're, they're well, I will say this though: if if I look at my investor s- s- circle spheres that I'm, you know, groups or whatever that I'm in, it is predominantly men. You know, yes. so I don't know if that's reflecting that that mentality. Maybe doesn't Maybe. have to be to the women out no, there. But, um, Absolutely no, and that's the point to make. I mean, whether it's dominated that way or not, it doesn't mean a damn thing. I mean, anybody can do it, but it it does it it does. You're, you're right; it does seem to be that we're dealing with that on that side more often than not. But I am curious, Richard, I'm trying to think about some of mine. I'm curious if that thought process, I, I guess there is some kind of truth to the way she, I've seen that before, you know? I think it's, a, and I, and it, at least maybe I, that's how I work. I try to identify how I can connect with my client, whether it be, yeah. well, like what that. is it that they need from me? What kind of advocacy are they needing from me? What kind of expertise are they needing from me? Do they need, yeah. um, and then I feel like you're saying you're talking about the language part of it. Then my dialogue, my language on being able to explain a concept, explain a topic, explain a property, I think changes when I can dial. At least maybe that's just how I work. So I can dial in and and meet the needs uh, right. of, of the clients. And I don't know who's watching. If it's a realtor that's watching that is not an investor, you need to learn the language so you can speak to those investors experience in particular. But if mm-hmm. you're a person watching that wants to be an investor, you want to be able to express yourself and communicate to that realtor what you need to or what you're wanting. So I got mm-hmm. my license in 2017, but I started investing in 2012 using realtors, using other 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 means to find property. 
And it was also often very frustrating for me as a non-realtor at the time to sit down with this realtor that said, yeah, I work with investors and I would explain what it is I want. You know, five years in now, we've been doing this for a while. They, they don't, they didn't get it. They, it, they weren't so it's really. My, it's my biggest gripe with the industry. Uh, you, have, you have so many people that are taught uh, to, uh, to, to cater to investors, to have their sphere full of investors. They go to investor groups and they're soliciting investor clients and they've never done it before. And I'm like, you know, that's a thin line to walk where you start representing somebody and you've never done it. And I want to be careful. I say this because I, I do encourage agents to help, uh, people who want to purchase homes, even if it's an investor. I, and, and that's okay, but you've got to make sure at some point, if you're getting into where questions are being asked and you don't know, you better go find out from someone who knows what they're talking about. I'll give you a great example where a lot of novice real estate agents get themselves in trouble. They put somebody into a property where they the person was adamant about flipping it fast they got hard money where they're at like 15 or 16 percent and they were told they've got to turn this in a month or two and the investor was had no problem knowing that that could happen and then they they get to close they're three days away and they find out that it's on an fha loan and the anti-flip rule comes into play and the anti-flip rule is not the middle finger although it might as well be uh, the anti-flip rule says that you have to wait 90 days for that thing to turn. Well, now you got an investor that goes straight back to that agent and goes, why did you not tell me that? Now I've got two more months of this type of fee that I didn't want. It's in the summer. So now the power has to run on that house. This is doubling what I thought I was going to have to pay. That's one out of a thousand examples where you have to be careful. And, and so Andy's right that we do have people who are watching that are real estate agents. And we will have some people who watch that are investors. Which, by the way, make sure you get our next episode on that one because that one's going to be more geared towards you. But it's a problem. And it's, a, it's hard for us because we want to encourage the guys to work with investors, but we also want them to understand. Now, for me, that's easy. Like for all of our crew, I see, it depends who you're with too. All of our crew, we can have people that have never worked with an investor go out. And you know why that is? Because I've done 100 of them. I know how to do it. I know how to do both sides of it. I'm the one that's going to tell them what to do. That's okay. But if you got someone out there that's trying to do it on their own, they've never done it before. you got a real problem. And it's only a matter of time before you get your hand you know, slapped. And don't even get me started on commercial investing. You get someone doing that that's not a static, you're asking for a lawsuit. You're, I mean, you're just begging for it. I think that's a good point, Robert. And one I was pondering, well, you know, a moment ago is is knowing your resources. And, and in in terms of our group, right, your your team, I don't know how deep it is now in terms of agent headcount, but we have clearly myself, Richa, Alan, a number of other active and, and experienced investors. It it's it's in part knowing what resources are available to you yourself and, and reaching out. Right. When you do have questions and, and, and not. Yeah, being I, think I, I think I do a poor job of letting our guys know that. And I'm, well, I shouldn't say that we, we try, like we try to interact with y'all uh, like with the hard money sessions and stuff. We want the guys to know it, yeah. but I probably should do a better job of telling our guys, we are very well versed on the investment side. I mean, we literally have, we have at least five professional investors. I'll include myself. I haven't done it in a while just because I run the firm, but. I mean, there was a time where that's all I did. 
And that's pretty much how I got into real estate. So when we have five people that really expertise on the flip side and the hold sides too. And, you know, our, our group should be very thrilled with the fact that if that's something they want to do or learn, they should reach out more because uh, we probably don't encourage it enough. Well, Richa, what you commented about contractors too, um, think of those folks as resources for those contractors. If I need, if my people, contractors are great, sometimes they just disappear or they take on too much, <laughs> something collapses and I need a new one. Um, I don't go to the yellow pages if that's still around or, or Google. I, I, I get on the horn with my, my, my close investor network that I've built over a decade or so. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where you need to think about your resources as well. I mean, Actually, I, I want to make a point on that because that, that's a great takeaway mm-hmm. from today's show. Uh, th- those of you who are real estate agents, uh, whether you're advanced or um, new to investing, that's a great tip to tell a client when they're looking for um, their own contractors. Let's say you know that they're looking on their own. They haven't directly asked you. Uh, you know, it, it, it really, there should be a forced comment in there as to, hey, look, whoever you use, make sure that they've dealt with investors before. You have an investor who has yeah. used them because most investors won't use a contractor unless they're. Hmm. Unless they're vetted. <laughs> I'm going to fill in a few blanks. You know, in a decade, I've had one bad experience and, and it did yeah. come from an investor buddy. But... Sure that. Oh, no. Hello? Oh. You sound like a cyborg, Robert. Robert. Well, I don't know how you do it, Richard, but when it does come to contractors, I like to check that they're insured, right? If it's that type of trade, um, get multiple bids. Yep. Um, I'll Google them now. Yeah. Well, I also need to see, I mean, sometimes I, if it's a brand new person, just because one investor friend has referred you, we still try to ask. Yeah. Hey, who are your references? Which one of your clients would you refer? Do you think I could talk to? Um, and and quality of workmanship, I think it's just it's um, it's so crucial to get that just right. Um, otherwise, you're just you're spinning your wheels and you're redoing stuff over and over again, and it's yeah. just not worth it. Getting multiple bids, we talk about that quite a lot, you know. And two, I think you said it earlier. Don't always go with that lowest one. You get what you pay for. You do. And and that's, again, I think some of this stuff, unfortunately, it just comes with experience and you have to be ready to have a couple of setbacks. And I think that's where, um, you know, finding somebody that's reputable, that you can compensate appropriately for their experience and all that happens. But I just think depending on the experience um, and, and exposure over time. It's just, it's very hard to, 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 to figure out if some of these contractors have any merit or not. Yeah, and it just takes time and you have to be prepared and okay with some of the losses that come with this track. It's just yeah. not every property that you, that you get is going to have a 10, 12, 50% return. I mean, those are very rare still as it is, right. If you're expecting, you know, monthly um, rental return, but yeah, the state of the state of Texas it desperately needs more uh, enforcement on the contract side of it. How there is not a, uh, a legitimate uh, committee that is responsible to oversee the contracting, even new builders for that uh, uh, for that matter in the state of Texas mm-hmm. it's, it's just I don't know how I don't know who's got control over it, how they get away with it, but it's ridiculous. Those people should have to answer to somebody. 
Bowser, uh, the guts of the house. I mean, when you're talking about Plumbing Electricity Foundation, how do they get away with not having to be approved by the state? I just don't get that. Well, that, and I think like, um, like you're saying, there's no policing or enforcement of any of this, right? So a contractor will run a business and then just file bankruptcy and then you can never find him again. So who are you going to run around and hold accountable? Which I want to kind of tie into the start of the show when we were talking about, Robert, you asked, what's the yeah. difference between I mean, a rental? If, if I'm in... oh, what's the difference between a rental and a flip? You, you open oh, the I show. I thought you were going to get. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to mute and let you talk. <laughs> I thought you were going to continue uh, with the, uh, with the conversations, I was just waiting there. Um, it is because you, you do get back into this play of if it is a flip, are we using someone that we don't know? And is that a risk? Uh, are they charging us what we thought? And if we did it, and this is a common mistake by a lot of the people is that they go with a contractor that's less because it'll maximize their profits, but they've never used them. So they're flipping a house. They get somebody in there to, you know, fix a, a a plumbing block or something and it's cheaply. And then the next thing you know, uh, they close in the house. They fixed it. They've got a, a like a, what was a $1,000 plumbing issue now has become a $30,000 plumbing issue. And it's a gamble. I mean, you're really, you, you might as well be at the casino because when you bring on a new contractor to, and you're trying to cut costs. That's probably a dangerous recipe for most people. I would almost advise most people, if you're going to go with a, if you're flipping and you're, and you're getting a contractor that you've never dealt with, I would almost advise you to pay higher just to make sure that they did right before I would gamble with that they're going to lose everything. Now, the, the true conversation is talk to someone who knows, um, go with a, an agent who knows investors that they've dealt with contractors that are proven. But if you're going to insist on doing it, my God, at least go with someone who's not fly by night because you're just asking for trouble with that person. And they, they, there's always excuses. Always. Every time something goes wrong, they're, they're, they, they have, well, I didn't know that you were going to do this or I didn't know you were going to do that. And it, it, it never ceases to amaze me how much trouble is caused by trying to save a few bucks when if you just paid a little bit more, you're like, well, that would have not been a problem had you done this. And when you're flipping, just like Andy said, and it's a great transition to end this particular show, which could go on forever the way we talk about these things. You have to look at, when it comes to flipping, am I going to get in there and am I going to do it quick? If I am going to do it quick, do I have the right people to do that job that will do it efficiently and they will do it cost-worthy enough for me that it's going to work for my numbers to justify? This is a flip and I want to do this. And if I'm looking at a property that I'm going to hold, is there a lot of stuff that I'm going to have to do to get this property ready? And is there going to be a lot of things I have to keep doing to it to hold it? You know, one of the things on the hold side of it is if it's an older property, a lot of times we have to look at, you know, where's the air condition at right now? I mean, we, are we in year 12 or are we in year 14? Is that going to have to be replaced? You know, are we looking at an aged um uh, a foundation that has been fixed years ago that continues to shift. We have to look at stuff like that and say, this is going to be paid by somebody else. We're looking to hold it, but is it going to cause us problems? You know, one of the bigger problems that we have with holding is 
a novice investor gets in and they start talking about positive cash flow. Now, let me tell you, positive cash flow is not plus 100 or plus $200. I've never viewed that as positive cash flow because to me, that is always one air condition away from breaking for me being in the red for a year or two. To me, positive cash flow is when you're like four or $500 a month and you can overcome those types of repairs. Too many novice investors get in so close to the screws that they're like, oh, this will be fine. I'm like, you know, there are problems that happen with those. Becoming a homeowner can suck sometimes, even though it's the life, livelihood of our business. There's problems that go around with that. Is that not right, Andy? Absolutely. But 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 to your comment, that's why I go in and I replace that AC up front and I replace that water heater up front. And because you want to know. Deal with you want to know. Especially <laughs> if it's at the end of its life. It's yeah. just not work. What's going to end up happening generally, right? They're like, oh, just this wire or th this little tube is low or what, and you replace that tube. What good is a brand new tube that was built in 2022 for a machine that was built in 1983? Well, especially with the air right. conditioning. How long is that going to last? They're all going through that right now with the Freon. And, um, you know, I, I think a great uh, way to end the show is that last takeaway from Andy uh, and Richard commenting on it, but really focusing in on uh, not the fact that it was an air condition, but the fact of what he said. When he goes in there, he doesn't want the surprise to be later. If he's going to buy that property, he knows that that air condition probably is going to be shot in a year or two. He's not buying it so that he can have his positive cash flow, hoping that that air condition holds out. He's going in and knowing, hey, look, it's gonna have to be replaced one way or the other. I'm gonna do it now. I'm putting it as part of the budget to make sure these numbers already make sense. If they make sense with the new air condition in there, it's the right thing to do and we're gonna do it. And I thought that that's a really significant comment. There's a lot of people that invest that that's the last thing they do. They're like, no, we'll let it go as long as we can. Robert, you're getting very cyborgized. <laughs> Am I back now? Am I back? You're digitizing. You're digitizing. You're falling apart. You're abstracting. We can't hear you. Nope. Yeah. This is the last time I do this show in this. <laughs> is he at Keller Williams? Where is he? <laughs> I think he's at the office. Poor guy. Okay. I, yeah, I am. I am okay. at the office. It, it's a terrible, it's a terrible internet. We all, with that said, I'm going to get off this one. I want to thank everybody for watching today. My fault and apologies of the technology. The last time I do the show on in this office here, the internet of all places, my office is the worst. So <laughs> I want to thank Rich. I want to thank Andy. Uh, Y'all check out our, our second episode uh, that we're going to be pushing out here. Uh, it's going to really talk about if you want to be an investor. Thank y'all for watching. Pass the show on. Thank you for always supporting the show. We will catch up with y'all soon. Y'all have a good one. Take care. Bye.